The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so let's have another period of guided meditation. So find your posture that's relaxed but awake. Awake and knowing that you're knowing what's happening right now. So we'll take a few mindful moments with our breath, connecting with the felt sense of breathing in and breathing out, which is not the same as the idea of breathing in and breathing out. It may not actually be all that clear when breathing in ends and breathing out begins. You have to look, you have to feel it. Each breath is a little different, constantly changing. Flow of tiny little sensations, breathing in, breathing out. So see if we can settle back in the easy chair that Kim had us in and receive these sensations. Listen, open up to your whole body to the sensations just as they happen as breathing in, breathing out. See if you can notice that you don't really know what's the next little thing you're going to feel. Just let it come to you. And the thing after that, and the thing after that. Letting go of any ideas about what's happening, how it should be. How it shouldn't be. What's the body's experience? Just flowing along, moment to moment, ever-changing little sensations. can be awake and allowing this flow to just flow along, noticing the perhaps shimmering, sparkling little changes of sensation throughout the body, sounds arising and passing. It's 
let go as much as possible of trying to do anything, trying to make anything happen. When sounds arise, notice they begin and they end. Can your attention be there for the ending or ending of a little piece of sound? Be there for the space between sounds. Deeply relax any need that we need to be managing what's happening, bracing ourselves against what's happening, trying to make something happen. Our whole job in meditation is just to know what's happening, not even to put a word on it but to feel it. Just to silently know. Don't need to know what the sounds are. Don't need words, don't need concepts. Just presence, presence of natural awareness. We're already aware. Just tune in and let that be enough. Maybe that what you're aware of is some tensions in the body. Maybe some holding around the eyes or the forehead, the chest. Can that just be another sensation that you're aware of? What is its nature, its felt sense, apart from any ideas you have about it? A little pressure, a little vibration.
after a few moments of silence, maybe your mind has wandered into thinking, what does that feel like? Is there some accumulated holding around the forehead, the eyes, the neck? What's happened to the breath? There is a sense of being pulled into the thinking. See if you can let the thinking muscle relax. Sense of tensing up the body in order to create an imaginary world takes a lot of energy. You can just simply notice that the breath is also happening and gradually let the breath come back into the foreground and come back to the flowing, ever-changing experience of being present in a non-conceptual, simple, direct way. Just knowing. Sitting, calmly knowing change. Little feeling here, little feeling there. Nothing to hang on to, no need to hang on to it. It's known. It's moved on. Now what's happening? And just keep settling back. It's not to grasp at each thing, but just to settle back. Settle back in your easy chair. The window's open, the door's open. Letting the little sensations, little thoughts, sounds, letting them flow past the window. We don't have to go out and grab them, do anything with them. If you find yourself drifting off, spacing out, pick something like the breath to try to stay more steadily connected to. And just noticing the difference between what is it like to be spaced out and not really here. And then coming back to clearly feeling something, 
Now knowing is turned back on, connecting again with what's happening. Very natural flow back and forth, spacing out, coming back. Really sometimes latching onto a thought, diving into that world of thought, getting involved with an inner conversation. When you realize that's happening, it can be interesting to just check out the force of that. Is it pulling you in? Is it causing you to tense up, to hold that thought world together? Just recognizing thought as thought, feeling as feeling. Clarifying that sense of knowing that you're present and connected. What that feels like. What it's like to be lost in a world of the inner imagination. Slowly finding the least amount of effort needed to just stay lightly in contact with the flow of sensations in the present. Not struggling. Wherever you see you are or have been, it's instantly okay. Now you're back here. What's happening now? Where's the breath? Let go, let go, let go. Whatever's happening is simply sensation, mental images, mental hearing. Just resting in the knowing. Things are being known. You don't have to do anything to know. Like the inner mirror, things are going by in the mirror, being known.
Okay. So the, the extra topic today is these two other path factors that are sometimes mentioned in the suttas that represent the potential for a deep and lasting release into, into freedom. Um, Kim talked about the end of the path. I certainly have no personal knowledge about anything resembling the end of the path. So, <laughs> just a disclaimer that I, I do... One of the things I want to convey, though, is what the flavor of, of knowledge that's being talked about in right knowledge and the experience of release is something that we can get a little taste of as we go. And one of my teachers was always fond of saying, well, I know the direction, I understand the direction, and I have a lot of faith in the direction. Through experience, verified faith that this is a good direction. So I I certainly feel like I can say that. And in that spirit, I want to talk about, explore these teachings around right knowledge and right release. So it's another way of talking, you know, sometimes, I, I forget if Kim said this or not, but the path is another way of looking at it is a spiral and so the more we develop this insight and wisdom the deeper our the more our view becomes a writer and writer view and that's another kind of almost a synonym for right knowledge is a writer and writer underlying view of what's going on so thinking about right knowledge for a minute what what kind of knowledge what do they mean by knowledge So it's probably pretty clear to you that it's not the same thing as knowing facts and knowing words and what you can learn from reading or from hearing. Now, all that's really essential because it points you in the right direction and your mind begins to be shaped by what you read and what you hear and, you know, which way you investigate. So, I mean, that's not to belittle the importance of hearing talks and studying and and learning on that level. But this... The knowledge that we gain through the practice, through especially through mindfulness and deepening concentration, is a direct seeing that's not mediated by ideas and concepts of how things are. So, you know, it's always surprising to me what a difference there is between thinking you know something and then, oh. <laughs> you know, I remember my dad smoked, you know, two packs a day for... 50 years, and he was completely aware of what a bad idea this was and could tell you all about it, you know. And then one day, they thought they saw a spot on his lung. And it's like, oh. And he never smoked another cigarette, you know. After 60 years of trying to quit, you know, one little, oh, me, oh, oh, really, oh. So, you know, makes a huge difference. And uh, so I feel both my parents have died in the last few years, and I was very privileged to be with them as they died. You know, I, I would have told you all along, everyone dies, you know. Well, being there with someone so dear to you as a parent and seeing that transition from life to death is incredibly powerful. You know, it's a whole different understanding of they're gone. <laughs> they were and they're not and what that means. So what we see when we really look through our meditation practice is a deeper and deeper understanding of the way things are and how how we relate to them that that increases the sense of stress and dissatisfaction and suffering with them 
and how other ways of relating and letting go leads to more of a feeling of ease and peace and freedom. And we can say that till we're blue in the face, but it's uh, it's almost like, I mean, I really think it's it's reprogramming your neurology somehow, like one drop at a time, you know. So most of us have gotten somewhere in the middle of our lives really believing that if I just grasp hard enough and try hard enough and push hard enough, that that's the way, that's the safe way to get what I want. And it's quite a process of seeing drop by drop, moment by moment, that it's safer, more reliable, easier, more peaceful to let go, trust a little, let it be, let go, wait and see what happens, don't cling on so hard. So it takes a long time to learn that. So right knowledge is heading in the direction of knowing that at the level that it really affects how you act. It's one thing to know something and when you when you know something intellectually but not at this deep level there are there's a lot of struggle you know so when you sit down when you start the practice you might first say well there's a lot of struggle going on because i know how to i'm supposed to be good and loving and kind and i can't i can't and you're always struggling with that because your intellectual understanding is struggling with deeper unconscious levels of the model of the world that says this is not safe so the right in right knowledge is is really getting at that underlying misconceptions that we have about how reality is and seeing it directly. So the traditional understanding, the way the Buddha describes it, is that there are three um, perceptual distortions that we are bound to have by the time we've grown up human. And one of them is mistaking what's suffering for not suffering and the way I've come to understand that most clearly is this great habit we have of attaching to an idea of something of how it's going to be you know especially in the future especially around well I'm kind of a greedy type so especially around oh it's going to be great when you know and then totally ignoring what it's doing to the body that's striving to get there and it's an ever receding horizon of when you get there and so you tend to spend your whole life uh, and we don't notice that so we're mistaking the pleasant idea you know for not noticing what the suffering is actually in the moment and conversely we think we have to stop this thing from happening you know what if I lose my job or what if I don't get something so we're spending all this effort buying insurance and worrying and worrying and watching the news and trying to imagine every possible bad thing that might happen and what we might do and, 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 and thinking this is going to keep us safe and not noticing this is suffering. So part of the practice is somehow getting the idea that it's interesting and being willing to turn and notice you know, what, this, what this means of trying to achieve happiness is doing to you so that you begin to see, oh, this is suffering. And that's a really the direct visceral experience of the First Noble Truth requires some ability to notice. Oh, like Jim was saying, oh, this, you know, being a fallible aging person is no fun in some ways, and that's happening. And, you know, there's tension in the body that's built up all these years, and rather than turn on the TV one more time, can I sit down and feel it, and feel into what is it really? You know, and then 
when the more we get the habit of really turning to it and feeling it, then we get a chance to work with the second of these delusions, which is um, mistaking the impermanent for the permanent. So we live in the world of concepts. The only remotely permanent thing in the world, and it's not permanent either, but we think so, is an idea. You know, and ideas are actually nothing. They ref- even even a really solid idea like table. You know, it's it's easy to show that there's not any exact definition of a table, and there's not any one platonic table. There's this whole mass of stuff that, you know, different sizes and shapes, and we conventionally call it a table. But when you get into really abstract concepts like happiness and love, and my goodness, these words mean, you know, these words are not anything. So you really need to look at your the real changing, flowing experience. And, and it's interesting around words like pain. You know, so when you're having something uncomfortable, our first response is to push it away, call it pain, I don't want anything to do with it. But if you start to look at it, everything can break up and be seen to be in a flowing flux experience that's actually not intolerable. It's actually can be, you know, almost, more than almost, it can, it can be a gateway to bliss, being with the breaking up of a sensation into all of its little parts. So more and more as we practice, we learn to trust in impermanence. Impermanence, the word, sounds very scary. Oh dear, I'm going to lose everything, nothing lasts. But the experience of it is, is it depends how much you're holding on to the idea. You know, you can scare yourself by continuing to hold on to the idea, but the actual experience is, is a flowing, you know, it's a, a flowing experience. And so... The right knowledge is learning to see what's impermanent. And at some very deep level, the more that we're able to continually rest in that flowing sense, something deeper than our personal willpower gets it, that there's no point hanging on. There's nothing to hang on to. And so at that point, for when people are able somehow to practice calming their minds, concentrating their minds, spending enough time continuously noticing change, noticing endings and beginnings, noticing that you've survived, you know, it was okay that that ended over and over and over again. And then, of course, you'll keep grasping. So you keep exploring what is being with the flow and what is hanging on and what is hanging on feel like and what does insisting that no, no, it has to not change or it has to be that way. And slowly the, the tipping point tips so that something deep in you is learning that it's actually better to let go than to try to hang on to something you cannot hang on to. So, uh, so at that point your right knowledge is ripening to the point where when this lesson is learned, there's a deep releasing of this tendency to hang on so that it's not up to you to think, oh, I have to let go and I can't do it, you know, over and over again. It's that it doesn't hang on, you know. It just, you'll find yourself not grabbing at things that you used to grab at, you know, not even occurring to you that more furniture is going to make you happy or, you know, to take a silly example. But, you know, just just whatever it is you think has to happen, you know. The Democrats have to win the next election. You know, well, maybe not, you know. We, we 
We've been through that before. You know, so, I don't know. Whatever it is that really sets off your emotional edge that, oh dear, this can't happen or this has to happen. You, you, you learn that that is unnecessary agitation. So then the third of these delusions is the delusion that there is an essential core to anything, especially ourselves, which is where we have a lot of holding and fixation. And we begin to see that, because it follows logically, of course, from everything is changing, that there isn't any unchanging part of anything. Everything is is a conditioned process that keeps rolling along. So, you know, there's no need to take this in a scary way, like, oh, there's no me. It's, the Buddha doesn't say that. He says it, there's no essential, unchanging core. You know, the, the process flow of each of us has got its unique quirks, and there are things that seem the same. When, when you remember something, it seems like the same memory, although when you look carefully, it's coming and going. It might not be exactly the same. But... We put so much holding around the idea of me and my attributes and then when we identify with things then there's that bigger, much of a bigger sphere of things that are deeply threatening to us. You know? So the more strongly you identify, to take a trivial example with a sports team, the more it really frustrates you when they lose. You know, it, it actually makes you unhappy when they lose. And then on a bigger scale, well, we're Americans. You know, how this and that happens to America. It's happening to me. So the more you identify with abstractions, the more painful it is. And so there can be very, very deep insights into being, not only not not identifying with these extraneous things, but really deeply not identifying with this body, which is a constantly changing phenomenon, and not identifying with the mind, which is a constantly changing phenomenon. And in some ways you can really see this, because you can see how much our thoughts are self-referencing. This is about me. Everything that happens, we tend to interpret through a filter of, what does this mean for me? And how is this going to affect me? And well, what about me? And over and over and over again. And so, and that is a thought that then keeps reinforcing something. It's like a fist holding nothing. You know, it's a very tight contraction at the center of the of our being that is a contraction itself. And we get a growing faith that the more that contraction can let go there's actually nothing in there that's being harmed. The harm is in the contraction itself. And so we learn that, you know, we learn that to different levels more and more deeply. Um, I'm already over time, my goodness. So we, um, I, I just wanted to make the point that it's not really useful to focus on the end of the path and I'm not there yet and I'm getting there and have I got there and not all along it's good to be cultivating faith that deep learning is happening and that every moment of clear seeing is doing some some something is learning and there are so many ways that we can see this so we can see it it just might be that something you're more mindful more often you know you didn't do that you just found it possible to be more mindful. If you could do it, you would have done it, right? So something deeper than the you is learning to wake up more often, you know, is learning to try something else more often. 
Sometimes uh, maybe something that was really unpleasant. Say somebody says something hurtful and they do it frequently and they did it again. And it maybe it just gets fainter. You know, it used to just kill you and sp- used to spend days going over and over and over it. And now it's like, eh, okay, you know. And so it's getting fainter and fainter how much these things hurt. And it's possible to, uh, sometimes you can actually see the mind start to go down a familiar pattern. And then it's amazing to see it just doesn't, you know. You didn't do it. It just says, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. And there's a sense of the impersonal about it, not like I wisely chose not to do that, but more like, oh, it didn't do it. <laughs> it didn't take that up. You know, so you, you develop this faith that learning at a deep level is happening and you can just trust that that will mature and result in you know, as much letting go as, as you can bring clear seeing to it. And the clear seeing itself, something is learning that clear seeing is good and you know, favors, gets a taste for seeing clearly instead of being lost in thought all the time. I just, uh, you know, this is just so ongoing. The other about two months ago I was over at the retreat center and I suddenly it, the experience of self-righteousness it was its turn to be under the microscope and it, it combines all these things because I just had this huge thought that oh you know they didn't put away the dishes and I always put away the dishes and they didn't put away the dishes and s- somehow it just ballooned up and this burning burning you know usually I'm so focused on I'm right and they're wrong that I'm enjoying that trip and I'm not not really feeling what it feels like. But this time I just really felt, oh, this hurts to be so kind of angry at them and kind of self-righteous and and it's so silly and it's so wrong. And, and And so I just hung out with feeling the burning and feeling the burning and knowing that it was associated with this sense of self-righteousness. And then ever since then, immediately... You know, when I head down that way, it, I wake up within two seconds. You know, usually I'd get several fantasies into how great I am and how terrible they are and other examples and, you know, who might see this and blame me instead of them and these kind of things. And, and instead of even going there, I just immediately, oh, self-righteousness. And it's because I saw it so clearly that one time, you know. And so now that's something that's kind of working its way through and I feel a little bit freer from that habit. So... Anyway, so this is right knowledge and right release at work. And, you know, I'm sure you all have examples of little things that have changed that seem to be something you couldn't do, but that has happened in some way as a result of your practice. So, um, Well, you can read Gil. Gil has an excellent paper on the transition from the eightfold to the tenfold path. I won't say it all because we're out of time, but... Anyway, it's a long process. Understanding emotional release, deep biological drives of, you know, desire and hostility, all that is very, very built in. And, but not built in in the sense that it, it's part of our maturing development to be able to let go of it. That seems also built in. So, you know, needing to build all that up and then the ability to have it deconstruct all seems to be an available part of the human experience. The ritual. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, 
So now we'd like to do a ritual, partly to acknowledge that this is the end of this formal um, eight-month series on the Eightfold Path. Um, the ritual will be both a way to symbolize the, the ending of this, this instruction, but it will also be an opportunity for you to reflect on what have you learned about each of the elements of the Eightfold Path, um, maybe reflecting on those moments of right knowledge, like Chris was just talking about, where where one of the elements went from something that was just uh, cognitive, you know, something that you remembered hearing, reading about, or hearing a talk about, to something that you actually um, experienced at a deeper level. So this ritual will give you a chance to reflect on each one of the elements individually, kind of as a, as a way to recap. It'll also give you an opportunity to um, to commit to continue on this this spiral path. Um, you know, maybe reflecting on how can you how can you bring each one of these more into your life? You know, you know how might how might you um, wake up to a way to, for example, to um, incorporate right view moment to moment in your daily life, and then also a way to um, perhaps be inspired not only by what you've learned, but also be inspired by the other people that have participated in this program over the last eight months. You know, so having that sense of inspiration and dedication to keep this practice going, you know, to deepen in it. Um, so it isn't just, um, okay, well, I'll take the notebook that I've been using for the last eight months and put it up there on the shelf. Uh, this is really something that we want to um, continue with. And so the this ritual will be a way, I hope, a way for us to um, both acknowledge what's what we've uh, experienced and dedicate ourselves to continue it into the future. So the ritual will, first of all, involve everybody but me standing up. <laughs> and we're going to form a circle, not unlike musical chairs. Um, well, no, but I... I no, I'm fixed here. Um, yeah, so maybe kind of clear. So we're going to form a circle where we're, we're it's, it's like a Zen, um, well, except I need to be out of the circle because you're, gonna, you're all going to be rotating except for me. So, um, yeah, so if you can follow the lead of uh, Chris and Kim. So what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll give a very brief description of, of the first element of the, right, of the Eightfold Path, and then you'll have something on the order of one minute to kind of reflect on it, think about what your experience of it has been, how has it changed, um, and how you might commit to 
uh, incorporating this more into your life. And then at the end of that time, I'll ring the bell, and you'll t you'll you'll all take one step forward. So actually, you'll move forward one step. So it'll actually be two footsteps. Oh, I see. Yeah, could you? Um, Yes, so uh, what's the Zen thing? Left foot first. Okay, so to begin with, consider right view. Your understanding of karma, cause and effect, and the Four Noble Truths. How can you bring that more into your life? Take that step forward. Write intention. The intention to renounce those desires which lead to craving, to develop a sense of goodwill to oneself and to others, and a sense of harmless, harmlessness to oneself and others. Step forward one more time. We come to the third element, right speech. Avoiding lying, slanderous speech, harsh speech, and idle speech. How can we incorporate that more into our lives? Take another step. Come to the fourth path element, right action. Refraining from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, um, 
lying and falling into states of heedlessness. How can we make that more part of how we live this this life we've we're experiencing? Take another step forward on the path. Come to right livelihood, considering the way in which we support ourselves, require, uh, acquire the requisites for life, and how we interact with uh, those around us. Consider right livelihood. Yet again, take another step forward. Now the sixth element, right effort. Preventing unwholesome mind states, abandoning uh, unwholesome mind states, arousing wholesome mind states, and then maintaining those mind states. How can we bring this uh, right effort into our lives day to day? And now, as a group, let's all take one step forward. And then the seventh path factor, right mindfulness. Being ever mindful of the body of the feeling tones of our experience, of the states of our minds, and of the processes of our mind, of the objects of our mind. How can we bring right mindfulness as a permanent um, feature of our life?
and now in a very careful and deliberate way, let's all take an, one more step forward. And now we've come to the eighth path element, right concentration, bringing a composure of mind, an ability to be present with everything that's happening in a way in which we're not um, conflicted with any of what's happening and that we can bring harmony and um, unity to our experience. Let's contemplate how we could bring that more into our lives. And now, instead of taking a step forward, let's all turn a quarter of a turn uh, counterclockwise so that we're all facing in towards the center of the, of the circle. There's a way in which, in this practice, we have to walk the path ourselves. Nobody can walk it for us. That being said, we also don't walk it alone. So look around the circle. Look at all the other people who have studied this path, who have brought some energy and some effort and some dedication to continuing walking the path and purifying the mind of greed, delusion, and hatred. This, today, this is your sangha. These are the people that can support you in this practice and that you can support as well, that it's a mutual uh, uh, support program and that we're not alone in doing the practice. And the, bene and the effects are not only experienced by what we consider ourselves, but the effects ripple out to all of those around us. So... Um, I'd like to suggest you all bow to one another. Okay, so uh, that's it. So now we'll um, uh, maybe get back to our the seats that we're in before and we'll have a chance to share what this experience has been like um, both the students and the mentors. So, oh, we'll sit in a circle. Okay. Fallible memory.
So I hope that was good experience for you and that there was some... This is, a, as Jim said, this is an embodied path. It's not something that we just have in our minds, but it's something that we do and that we experience directly and viscerally. Uh, it's not about escaping our body, but <laughs> arriving in it, in a sense. So the idea for this time is for all of us to share with the Sangha whatever we would like, in a sense. But some possible options are your experience during the ritual that we just did. So maybe an aspiration that came forth for you as you were considering one or more of the steps. Or it could be something that you learned uh, during the course of the last eight months that you would like to to express. It could be something that surprised you or challenged you about the path uh, that you've learned so far or some kind of appreciation. Um, This is the opportunity to say what will make you feel complete uh, for this moment at least in this group. It's a chance to to express and share. And we're just going to send the microphone around for to make it easier, we'll send it around in the circle. But you don't need to speak when it comes to you. It's perfectly fine to pass. And we'll be sure, it's not like that's your only chance, we'll be sure after it's gone around once to pick up anybody who would like to, to then add or say something else. So everyone will get a chance to speak. And when you start, please say your name for the group. Um... We have all the mentors sitting in the same place, so let's start not where a mentor is. <laughs> Why don't we start with Sue over there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Sue. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess to complete for me is just to exp- express my deepest gratitude to all of you, to everyone in the song, and especially to my mentor. Um, yeah, this I've, I've seen so much in this path um, that I didn't, you know, realize... Um, how deep it would touch me and how deep it would transform um, my experience and um, my life. So, thank you. Hi, I'm Eddie. Uh, I'm Eddie. Uh, This has been a really great experience. I'd never spent much time thinking on this direction of looking at myself and it's been really good to go through these steps and see that uh, see myself in a different light Um, I feel like I'm really really a beginner so this is I'm going to be doing this again thanks Hi, Michal. Um, when I first started, I had a lot of distrust uh, whether this is something that will bring me any anything. And um, actually, the, the first few um, elements sort of rattled me, um, and I felt out of balance and then sort of settled in. So I think it was a great experience, learning experience for me, and also learning to know myself a lot better. I thought I gave myself time to do that, but I realized I didn't. 
So um, I just feel a lot of growth in the opportunities to be aware of what's really going on and changing perspectives of anything that comes my way in life. And I have a lot of gratitude for all of you, too. Thank you. I'm Lois. Um, I have a really deep appreciation for being in this program and for the everything, all of you, the materials, the readings, my mentor. Thank you. Um, when I started in this program, I had a lot of distress and anger and sadness in my life, and um, this program has just given me a new framework to um, live my life, and um, it's really had a profound change for me, um, and I feel like I've been going through this long, beautiful process of just letting go and appreciating myself and appreciating others, and um, I'm really looking forward to continuing to grow through um, continuing with what I've been learning. Um, I'm Amy, and um, I came to this uh, program because I recognized I was doing a lot of intellectualized Buddhism. I was reading a lot, and it wasn't really... um, I was aware that I had a lot of the... uh, words for it, but not really the experience of it. Um, And so I thought this might help me be, kind of force me to actually do it, (laughs) and it definitely has. Um, I feel, um, I can't believe it's already over, (laughs) and I kind of want to start it over again. (laughs) And um, because there just seems to be so much more to to get at and um, and I've just really appreciated connecting with the the whole place here and all the people and um, as we were going around I thought all I could really think about how to do more of each thing was to be more connected to others who are also doing it and um, to keep actually doing it <laughs> and not just uh, reading about it or things like that. So I feel really, really grateful to my mentor and um, to all the people that have been here each month and, and uh, to all the, all the programs here too, like all the things online and that, I, that are there to listen to and um, absorb. Hi, I'm Leslie. Um, and I want to say thank you to all of you for um, such a good job. This was a, a great experience. And I, I do, like other people have said, feel like I've just, just begun. So I definitely want to take it again and, and work through some of those exercises again because I gained a lot of um, knowledge and perspectives but that need a lot more practice. So I thank you for opening the doors. Hi, I'm Deborah, And... I was able to take this virtually because I had been in Southern California. So the design is an incredible design. And I was able to come up for the closure. So, um, yeah, the design is, is, uh, has all kinds of flexibility and possibility for anybody. I, too, would like 
to begin again because I found that the last one I finally, every single day when I sat down to meditate in the morning, pulled out my reflection sheet and did it every single day. But it took me, what, nine nine months to do that. So um, I now have the commitment, the structure, um, and my life revolves around this practice. It it is infused with it. Uh, It's not a path. It's a way of life. And um, I'm very grateful for all the teachers, all the mentors, all the students, all the people that, that are in the world sharing this. It's, a, it's an incredible gift. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sonia, and um, I had been practicing for some time uh, before starting um, this program. Um, and as always, things turned out to be very different from what I expected. Um, um, <clears throat> so one of the things I let go th- during this um, during this nine months was my sense of striving and you know and doing things kind of forceful. That is what. Um, reminds the most Mm. it just um, my mentor was (laughs) um, the key element um, where um, I don't know um, it made it so much more real so again I also was doing lots of things just in my head and mm, this experience has made it possible to really incorporate it into my life much more and mm, to be more aware of prejudices I had about how Buddhism or this should be and what it really can be. So my gratefulness to to the people who do the program. Hi, I'm Beverly. And before I took this program... I had read about the Eightfold Path, figured it was pretty simple, right? You just take the whole lot and just do it. (laughs) It was a very bumpy ride. It was not a smooth path at all. Um, I got quite frustrated with it, as you can imagine. Having this program and working with a mentor and taking slow steps... Um, a month at a time, being able to reflect on everything and understand what each step meant was absolutely huge. I have a much, much better understanding. And I think what I have gained most from this eight months is the awareness and the mindfulness in Everything. I mean, my thoughts, my actions, my feelings, my taste, my touch, everything. And I couldn't have achieved this without the mentors, without the teachers, without the instructors, without the sangha. It has been truly um, a very, very blissful 
walk along this path, and I intend to go back to the beginning and start it again. Thank you so much. My name is Sabrina, and um, I really think that the main thing I'm getting out of this is patience with myself and recognizing that while I'm new to much of this, I'm new to practicing, that this is something that will take a while, really, to settle into me. Um, And I feel very appreciative of especially my mentor. Um, That was so helpful in taking something that felt like general concepts to something that was really personal. And that made a really big difference. I'm continuing to be surprised about all of the resources and the richness of this particular place and feel so fortunate that I live so nearby. I'm wondering what the next steps are because I think I will really miss the structure of doing this in the way that we have. I found that very helpful. And I hope that it will be offered again, and I really would like to sign up for it. I have been so impressed with all of the time and expertise and effort that all of the leaders have given for this. And um, it feels like there's so much generosity here and genuineness. And um, I really appreciate having a Dharma buddy now. Uh, and that came out of this program too so thank you very much my name is Ginny and I want to thank everybody the leaders up there that helped put this program together because it was really a wonderful wonderful experience for me Um, I enjoyed each of the readings. They were so, everything was so well written. And then the exercises that that went along. uh, So there was a chance to really isolate each step and concentrate on it. Uh, um, And I felt that was really helpful for me. Um, It was also really, really important, wonderful to work with a mentor because in the course I've been coming uh, to IMC many years and questions come up and they come and they go, you know. And when they came up, there was somebody, you know, that one-on-one we could talk and really go into some into in depth in things that um, concerns or questions that I had, and that was a huge piece for me. And I can only hope that in some way, a mentoring program uh, for those of us who are graduating here, that there will be something so that we can, when things come up, there is somebody that we can talk to that can um, help us on our path. Thank you very much for all of you. Hi, I'm Michelle. Um, I also want to thank all the teachers and um, my mentor, Judy Long. And one of my observations is just how simple the Eightfold Path sounds, 
However, it's so difficult to put into practice. I think someone else mentioned that too. And one of the things that attending this class has enabled me to do at least recognize which one of the eightfold paths that I haven't been practicing. So uh, that's just to, just to identify that is very useful. And um, and just meeting some new people here, members of the sangha, and having the small discussion groups, I think were very helpful as well. Thank you. My name is Claudia. And first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody for showing up. And when I didn't show up, I knew you were here. <laughs> um, the materials were excellent. And um, I dearly appreciate that I still have them in my heart, um, no matter that they may not be in my electronic form anymore. Um, I echo a lot of what people have said about the value of this program. And um, it, it is interesting because I came to it thinking that I am taking it. And I found out that the world was taking it and I was taking it with the world. Um, I came knowing that I had a health condition and I wanted support. Um, and yet what I found is that we all give support to each other, that I didn't have to look at it that way. Um, I really want to thank my mentor. Um, it was great to have that time to look forward to it, to prepare for it, to reflect on what I had experienced. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate your support and help in getting to know you. My name is Chris, and... I'm just sitting here filled with such gratitude and joy the whole day. I came in a little bit late and sat down, and as soon as I closed my eyes, I just had this wonderful feeling of, of joy and gratitude. So I want to express the deepest gratitude to the four of you. There's, I can't even imagine how much time and energy goes into preparing uh, this kind of program and then offering it. So I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. And I've been coming here for a long time and moved last year to Oakland. So I'm, I used to live very close, and now I'm at a distance. So I don't get here nearly as much as I used to. And this is my first time coming because I actually work here still, so I commute every day. So anyway, this is my first time coming for uh, the actual um, Saturday program. And it's, I think that was part of the joy when I walked in, knowing that this has been going on. And then I sat down. And I think just plugged into the energy of, of everyone here. And I miss that so much. So it's so wonderful to have the opportunity to experience that. And working, Jim was my mentor. Working with Jim was such a beautiful and amazing experience in deepening uh, my connection to the practice. I've been, I think, more heavy on the practice and less heavy on the Dharma study. That's one of the things that inspired me to, uh, to join the program. And it was fantastic to to go through the readings and reflect on them and, uh, and then have the study infuse my practice. And it's a, I love the, the image of the spiral or a circle and, and just working with all of the different elements, um, as, as Kim was saying earlier, as, they, as it arises and whatever is the most important for me to focus on in a particular moment. And then to live, to, to live the path. That's my, my dedication is to, is to really have 
the Dharma infuse every element of my life, and this has helped me to do that, I think, more consistently than, than prior to joining the program. So thank you again, and I'm excited to, to continue the practice without thinking that I'm going to ever finish it, which was my big, my big learning that I'd finish someday. I've arrived. Uh, so it's wonderful to continue weakening that delusion, which still pops up. So cheers to continued practice. Um, my name is Bruni, and um, I was a mentor in this program. And um, my gosh, what a gift. What a gift. Um, I feel grateful for the invitation, for the sharing, for um, the trust and commitment of my uh, mentee. And um, I feel humbled uh, because there were many instances that I was also learning the path over and over again. I was sharing my experience and, and listening and um, being a mentor. And within that, there was, there was a piece that I was also being um, a practitioner, a mentee, a, a spiritual friend, and suddenly all those different roles and identities um, fused, you know, within, within also knowing um, what was the program about. So um, a lot of learning uh, for me and um, a lot of gratitude for sharing the path with others. Um, one thing that I um, take from it as a next step is now how important is uh, spiritual friendships and this is what this group is is starting to shape into you know now with the closing um, those roles like dissipate a little bit right um, and then there's others that are more present for me so uh, spiritual friendship, that's what I'm taking with me today. My name is Jan, and I do feel a lot of gratitude for your generosity. Thank you very much. And uh, one, of the, one of the wonderful things is the individual connections with each of you in the groups and the Dharma buddy and my mentor, just to... Um, share and listen and be heard is so satisfying in the practice and have so much of what I go through be so much like what everyone else is going through in some other form. Um, like Chris, I uh, have done more practice than study, so it, there's the, there is this um, hunger to learn and then all the insights and humility of what's learned in the doing or the attempting to do or not attempting to do it, whatever the, <laughs> the frame is in the moment. Um, this, the Dharma class has provided a core for practice for me 
and for living the practice, and I'm, I'm going to miss that, or I want something to replace that, or I really, really value that. Um, because concentration and keeping the focus and living in integrity are really important to me. Um, the other thing is, is falling in love with the Dharma. And I was feeling it was more like puppy love when I started, and now it's like mature, <laughs> a little more mature, maybe adolescent love. Um, uh, because it is a beautiful, seamless, psychologically intelligent, and um, complete description of living and consciousness and a whole other way of being that it's it's just brilliant to me that someone understood all of this before we think we all the things we think we understand now with science and and the brain and how everything works and the the uh, main piece for me too today is noticing how much more peace I have in the center of all um, my lack of my lack um, how much peace I have regardless of what's going on externally in terms of my practice and ability to live my practice my name is Janet and uh, I think I'm most grateful that I do have a path now that this is a path that I took on wholeheartedly coming into this and it has just, it's been really a very transformational thing for me and I am so grateful for all of your work and your dedication and to my mentors in Guam. Uh, it has been wonderful. I, my description is uh, a caterpillar goes through a lot of pain to become a butterfly and then the butterfly has its choice of all the thousands of flowers that it can land on now. So I am so grateful. Yes, I have a lot of uh, gratitude as well for my co-teachers up here. That was a, a lot of fun and a great experience to together, right? We collectively had to come up with what are we going to say? Who's going to say what? How are we going to organize this? And those were really fun. And for me, kind of, I learned a lot in the, during those conversations while we were talking about that. And of course, also a big gratitude to everybody who participated. I mean, this wouldn't have existed, this program, right? Unless people showed up. And uh, you did. A lot of people showed up again and again. It's a beautiful thing. And also, I um, have a certain um, awe for the Eightfold Path now. I thought I understood it. I thought I knew this thing. But then when I came time to sit up here and to think that I actually I'm going to talk about it, I looked in, into it deeper and I found more and more and more and more. And I, as I was doing the practices, I thought of my life, how it affects my life in so many ways that I hadn't seen before also. So I just have this gratitude for the depth and the richness 
of this, and a number of you have talked about how wanting to take this again and again. I feel like a great privilege that I've been able to do this too in this way. So I have a deep bow for you all. I'm Chris. Yeah, it's been it's been a quite an interesting experience doing this both last year and this year for me. Um, I practiced for many years, but I I'm realizing that I hadn't really taken on the first several path factors as practices, and so I find that my um, a certain assumption that you know if you just sat long enough it would all work out. Well, I still hope so, but it's also <laughs> it's really wonderful to take to take seriously all the different aspects of this as something that can be practiced and worked on, and they just come to mind so much more often throughout the day, and really a sense of uh, I don't know, a kind of heightened. I say often that the Dharma is my life, but really bringing that to mind and and having that extra boost of integrity of all right, so you know wake up, what am I going to do about this and that element right now, and what am, how am I acting, and how's my livelihood, and my speech, and all that has been really brought to life to me, and I'm so grateful to my my mentees, I don't know which of us is which, but it's been really rich sharing this process with, uh, with you, who are here and not here, and last year, and... Uh, you know, we've been through a lot. I was I was living in three states during the course of this thing and doing it on the phone and doing it here. And, you know, people died and all kinds of things happened. And so it was a rich journey through life with uh, the path to guide us. And I'm really grateful to the, the whole group. And it's been really fun working with this group, preparing these sessions and having Gil's wonderful base teachings to work with. I'm Kim, and I would like to echo much of what's been said in terms of really appreciating my co-teachers here and all the people that I was able to to work with. Um, well, maybe what I'll say that's coming to mind right now is that I found in meeting with um, mentees that often I would learn some other aspect of the path that uh, maybe I hadn't noticed so much for myself because it wasn't the number one dimension of that factor that was up for me. But then when it, you know this other dimension was up for this other person, I could see it for myself also. And so I felt a great broadening of my understanding of each of the path factors by coming in contact with people that were working with them also. So very much a shared journey, as the other mentors have been saying. And what else? To come away, I think, with also a sense of um, of the openness that the path invites us to. It's a little hard to describe. I'm I'm not sure what I'm trying to get at, but I feel like the the more I work with each of the path factors and the more I share them with other people, there just comes this sense that um, that the path can't be held inside of oneself. It, it's, it must be shared and open to and uh, somehow made into something that's that's larger and that touches the whole world in some way. And 
I've seen that happening in this program, the, the way we've reached out to each other and the way we've shared in the um, in-person sessions. Um, the path is something that's alive, and it's been growing in all of us and between all of us. Thank you. My name's Jim, and I'm grateful for everyone that's brought me here. Uh, Gil, who has been my teacher for now 16 years, um, lives under the delusion that I have something to share. <laughs> so I don't know when, when he'll see through that one, but uh, so far, so good. Um, uh, also... I guess it was the six of us that were teaching this class all together. There's five here and then one other person who's not. Um, I felt very supported by all of my co-teachers, Diana, Chris, Kim, Shinquan, and Shelly. Um, it gave me a certain freedom that I didn't have to create this out of, out of the chaos of this mind, but just plug into a, a structure that, that was created. Um, I learned a lot from being a mentor. My, the, the three mentees I had were all very dedicated, uh, inspiring, and uh, challenging for me, you know, like really to... to um, they asked good questions. They made comments that really helped me deepen my own practice. And... So it's it's been a rich experience for me, and um, I guess in some ways I, I I don't know that I could really differentiate between having been a teacher of this and really be a, a student of it. I feel like I was part of the learning that went on with all of you, so I don't see uh, a distinction uh, in that way that it, that I was a student of this as all of you were. So thank you. So I'm Shin Kwan, and um, I guess I had the privilege of getting to manage this program <laughs> and help um, Gil uh, fig figure out what it was going to look like or what might happen. And... Um, I'm just in a kind of surprise that it worked out so beautifully <laughs> well because <laughs> I have no skills in managing. <laughs> but honestly, I couldn't really, um, I can't really say I did that much because it was really team teaching and organizing and um, making it fun. Otherwise, I'm not sure it would have turned out as beautifully. Um, was that it was fun for us and I think I was really supported by last year's program and hearing about how um, so many people got so much out of it, both mentors and participants. So um, it's not that much work to do, and it's really worthwhile to do it. So um, I have a lot of gratitude for all of you who actually put in the time to do this path, That especially in the beginning, is really challenging and, and, and not easy. And, um, it takes continued effort and 
I have to say the most I got out of it after I realized it's not about knowing the materials inside out and what I was doing to prepare for each meeting that I had, it was learning how to meet each person where they were. And I got so many opportunities to do that because I could really tell when I wasn't. I could really feel that. Um, And uh, so unfortunately I'm not always (laughs) there, but um, I felt like it's been so worthwhile as I get to meet my experience and whatever's going on for me wherever I am and learning how not to push or space out or do all that in each moment that I get a very different experience doing it with another individual and it's really beautiful and awkward and clumsy <laughs> and, and heartbreaking and heartwarming and I, I don't think um, I was prepared for how Oh, beautiful it was going to be. So uh, thank you all very much. It's been a lovely, lovely experience. Are there any additional comments? Anyone who didn't? My name is Allison. Okay. And I'm also very grateful. <laughs> Just not very good at coming up with the words in front of a big group. <laughs> Okay. Great. Well, thank you, everyone. So, well, just I feel like this has been a beautiful conclusion to it. I don't have too much more to say. I think it's pretty clear to everybody that this is not one of those programs where you get your certificate and you've done all eight check marks now. (laughs) You're certified. Not exactly. It's more of an introduction to a way of life, and uh, you know we can we can uh, just continue to deepen it in several ways. So I want to talk just for a moment. Many of you expressed a wish to somehow continue, and uh, of course participating here, coming to all of our events here, listening to talks, reading, continuing to practice. I don't know if some of you may be familiar with retreat practice. That's a wonderful way to really deepen, uh, especially those last three factors and indirectly all the factors through retreats. And, you know, we have half days here, day-longs, in our wonderful new retreat center in Santa Cruz. Um, So just something to consider, you know. it's It's a beautiful way to deepen your practice. And also one thing we really want to talk about is the possibility of you all forming some what we call Kalyanamita groups. That's the Pali word for spiritual friend. A couple of you spoke beautifully about spiritual friendship. So we thought we might give a chance here to... One possible way to do that would be by area so that you it's easier to get together in the evening. So we thought we might just have the a little way for the group to discover who lives where and who's possibly near each other, although that might not be the turn out to be the right organizing principle, but <laughs> as opposed to interest and in nights available or something. But you could you could talk to each other and then we'll have a tea and coffee, um, tea and treats afterwards and you can meet each other more and uh you know, if there's something we can do to help facilitate that, let us know. And, and we really encourage you. It's very powerful because it can be a way to, you could start over with the materials and now you have this understanding in common, you know. And so you could support each other to do it again or to uh, amplify your understanding in different directions. So, so let's just find out um, at the moment, 
Is there anyone here who's from the South Bay, say, south of Mountain View? Okay. Is there anyone who's from the East Bay? Okay. Anyone from north of uh, Burlingame or so in the city? Okay. The rest of you are pretty much from the Mid-Peninsula area? Where? The coast. Anybody else from the coast? Okay. Well, I would suggest that the South Bay and the East Bay and people just talk to each other for a minute and see if you, there's some interest and, you know, whatever group the rest of you feel. I know some of you are from far away, but if you feel some affinity for a group that you go and maybe the group in the middle you can talk to each other and there might turn out to be a division between, you know, north of here and south of here or something. Just see if you, see if some interest develops in uh, in forming a group to continue this, and we will offer the program next year. So there may be a possibility of doing it again, if that's what interests you. You know. So uh, anything else, Kim? Yes. We we what? Yes. Sixteenth-fold path. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, um, we just invented this whole thing a couple of years ago, and we haven't gotten um, there. There is a thought. I don't know if this is. I guess this is an announced. There's going to be a way to train people to be mentors so that this can expand is the next thing. So people who have done the course and sat a certain amount of retreat, I think, I, I forget what the, anyway, are perhaps invited to apply to be trained to be mentors in the course. and that. So the next step I guess we're taking is widening it rather than deepening it at the moment. So I, I think doing it, you know, finding a group that's interested in continuing Forming such a group and and continuing, you know, is probably the best way to go at this point. Yes. Yeah, the, the question was about if there's any more readings on uh, right release and right right knowledge and right release. Um, I don't know. There's a there are lots of there's books about kind of there are book length writings that I would highly recommend on the you know the end of the path. There's one called The Island by Ajahn Amaro that's available online. It's a wonderful, it's a, he's gone through all the suttas and collected all the teachings that are about, you know, what is liberation and the, the practice leading to that. Uh, Tan Jeff, whose books are often available in the corner here, has uh, a book called The Skill of Release that is leading up to this and some other. Well, there's Gil's talk. Gil has a talk and an article. You can, Gil's article is a one-page thing. It's very good. And there's a, his talk. Uh, he has a talk on the subject. Beyond the path. Right. And they're both the articles online under articles. I, ha- I recommend you read that. Um, you know, he's done a lot of talks over the years on um, 
insight and liberation and, you know, that the experience. I remember a beautiful guided meditation he did about a walk on the beach that is just a wonderful kind of guiding into just letting go. And who would want to pick that up again after you let go of it? Kind of, <laughs> you know, guiding you into really understanding how much busyness and distractedness and partying all night and all that is just, eventually it loses its charm. And using that as an analogy for, you know, being tired of clinging. <laughs> so I don't know. If I, I'll, I'll look around. If I think of something, I'll have Xinquan mail, mail out to the group. Those things come to mind. So before we... Uh, yes, you can. And for those of you who are interested, um, all the material, the articles and the practices and collections have been edited and revised, and they're getting pulled together with the goal that uh, we'll publish a book um, that we hope to come out by September. And it'll be something that you could find on Amazon or something like that. We just wanted, as a group, to thank Shin Kwan for <laughs> wonderful job administering this and making it very easy for the rest of us to slot ourselves in and talk a little about this and that <laughs> while she did all the work. So, thank you very much. So, do you want to do? Do you want to? Um,